Do you suffer from tilt? Has the relentless grind of getting rivered by the terrible plays of donkeys beaten you down? Do you suffer from SS, also known as short stack syndrome? Despite what they say, size does matter, and you know it. That's why you need to ask your doctor about TBS-TB, a new weekly dose of poker inoculation. TBS-TB, or The Blind Stealing the Blinds, is a weekly podcast to help you bridge the gap between poker theory and application and apply some lessons on the felt to your life off the felt. Common side effects include increased confidence, better range construction, higher win rates, and in general, being a better human being. For a free consultation, head over to tbstv.com. Your poker life depends on it. listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, the silliest debate in poker. I'm going to say something I haven't said in about five weeks. Hey, Dell, how's it going? It's going really well, BJ. It's going really well. I've missed you. How are you doing? I've missed you too. That's it? You've been gone for five weeks and all you have to say is, I've missed you. What's been up? What have you been doing for the past five weeks? Well, I've been working a lot of hours, an awful lot of hours, about 72 to 84 hours a week. You know, I've been working nights and I'm glad to say that tonight's going to be my last night as of this recording. I'll be back on days come next week and I'll be back to 40 hours and I'm going to have a lot of time to play poker. I'm going to bring up a couple things that have happened. Basically just who we are as a podcast. It was kind of neat. Persuadio did hit a little blurb on us for new podcast and uh, he didn't say anything bad about us. That, that was kind of neat. Uh, you know, we must be doing all right. In fact, he described us as a friendly way to move the ball forward for lower stakes players. And that's kind of I think that's kind of part of our niche. I mean, our niche is people who want to keep learning about poker and get better at poker. He did describe us as Salt for Y acolytes. We are not. We are School of Cards acolytes. But but it's okay. Uh, We don't, we we basically know that there's a lot of good stuff out there. It's neat that he took the time. I want to thank him for taking the time to listen to our podcast and give an opinion on it. You even reached out to him on ways to improve and he responded back. And I think that's, I think that's really says a lot about in the poker community. When you look at the people who've reached the top and stayed at the top, they're usually genuinely good people and they'll take time to teach you and, and reach out and help you with things if, as long as you're a genuine person. So, you know, thank you to him. And it's just one more neat experience we've had since starting this. You've been doing a lot yourself. I've been doing a lot. So we had a number of guest hosts on the show, so I'm glad that we were able to book those to fill the time when you were away. I haven't played poker in three weeks, though. My dad came to visit. We played golf. I realized that I suck at golf. I used to be really good. So I've been spending the last few weeks trying to practice my game, dust off the cobweb so I don't make a complete fool of myself, so I can still enjoy the game. Poker is still my primary passion, but I would like to be halfway decent at golf, or if not as good as I used to be, at least nominally good. And I've also been studying GTO. You had mentioned before Michael Acevedo's book, Modern Poker Theory, and I started reading it. Once I started understanding GTO, by the way, I had never studied GTO before, I fell into that trap of asking the perennial question, which would you rather do, GTO versus exploitative poker? 
And you and I decided that's probably the silliest debate in poker. It's not an either or, it's a both and. So that's the topic of today's conversation. First, for our listeners that don't know, I want to explain what game theory optimal poker is. Let's say that one person is maximally exploiting someone else. And that's what you want to do. You want to exploit the other players because our profit comes from us making fewer mistakes than our opponents and then the chips come our way. Now, if you were to exploit someone who knew what you were doing, they would adjust. They would counter exploit you. You would then adjust to them. You would counter, counter, exploit. You would do this dance iteratively until each of you reached a strategy where neither of you had an advantage. Even if you had complete cognizance of the other person's strategy, they would remain unbeatable because they're playing perfect game theory optimal poker. That would be what they would call the Nash equilibrium. When those two forces, opponent A and opponent B, they iterate they counter-exploit each other until the point where they can no longer exploit each other and they reach that equilibrium. That Nash equilibrium is basically synonymous with game theory optimal poker. Yeah, first of all, I'm going to say a couple things. Uh, you don't understand GTO yet, and neither do I. I want to make that like, yeah, I'm, oh, granted. I, I want to no, share that. I don't like, understand it. I want, I, everybody should, if you're playing poker, you should go out and get my class of Edith's book. You really should. Modern Poker Theory is good. Andrew Brokus's books on and we're doing tools first instead of the problem. <laughs> but my, Andrew Brokus's books on play optimal poker are really good starts for poker players. But the reality is, is that if you're listening to this, you should know already that just reading a book doesn't bring understanding. Reading that book, studying that book, and bringing that to other players that may have a greater understanding of it than you is how you're going to get to a true understanding of GTO. And it's a silly argument because if you're playing GTO, we all know that player that espouses to balance, balance. I did it because of balance. Well, you're balancing against the player that you didn't need to balance again. And you think you're playing GTO because you're playing a balanced strategy. But the problem is your opponent isn't playing GTO. And one of the things that people need to understand that is a concept of GTO play is when your opponent is making a mistake, it's a GTO principle to take and exploit that mistake to the maximum for maximum value. So if you're just playing balance for the sake of playing balance and your opponents aren't, you're not playing GTO. You're not. And when you think about anything that we do that is exploitative play, you can really trace that to a GTO concept. When you think about well, I, I'm three betting more because he was opening too wide. Well, right. His frequencies were off. Now, whether you thought about it in the same sense of game theory optimal or whether or not you just instinctively knew they were opening too much, it's still a matter of taking advantage of their failure to maintain proper GTO frequencies. Yeah, I realized, again, yes, I don't understand GTO principles. I'm getting introduced to them and I'm realizing that GTO and exploitative play are one in the same. Now, the difference is, like you mentioned, people don't play GTO. They have leaks in their game. So you should exploit those leaks. There's nothing against GTO that says that you shouldn't exploit those. The interesting thing that I'm coming to realize is that Game Theory Optimal provides a basis against which I can measure deviations. Unless I know what someone's optimal frequencies should be, how would I then even know, hey, this person's three betting too much? Let me counter that. I wouldn't know whether there's an opportunity to counter those excessive three bets unless I knew what a properly balanced three bet strategy looked like. And so that's where I'm figuring out it's not an either or, it's a both and. 
Yeah, I, I agree with everything there. The thing is that there's this battle, this silly battle between GTO and exploitative. First of all, the ones that are come down on the side of GTO, it's GTO, GTO, GTO. And when, like I said, when you'll watch them do stuff or you'll hear them talk about stuff that doesn't really fit into that GTO concept. The thing that happens here in my mind is that they neglect a holistic study of poker, right? And they also neglect the fact that GTO is not solved. It's still being worked on, it's still progressing, it's still evolving. And as a human being, you can't play GTO anyways. You can simulate GTO. You can do things to make it look like you're playing a perfectly balanced game, but you're not. No person is capable of doing that at this point in our evolution. When you think about the people who come down on the exploitative side and they don't wanna study GTO and they think it's useless to study GTO, what they're doing is they're preventing themselves from learning more places they could apply their exploitative play. If you can take a look at GTO and say, here's their deviation from good sound GTO principles, good sound poker, basically. This is their deviation from it. How do I exploit that? This is how I maximally exploit it. Then you apply it. You're going to make more money. It makes no sense in my mind to have this, this battle that I hear over and over in poker. People saying like, oh, well, at the micro stakes, GTO doesn't matter. Well, do I think you should play a balanced strategy at the micro stakes? Probably not. You know, I think you should be very exploitative in your play. But the reality is, is the more you understand what good sound poker is, what you know what the proper frequencies to be playing to reach that equilibrium you were speaking of earlier, the more you can look at that person and say, this is how I can exploit that player. Yeah, I think being able to exploit those other players is what we want to do to get more profit. We want to capitalize on their mistakes. Another thing I'm recognizing as I read these books on GTO is that GTO principles form the foundation for why those exploits make sense. For example, you might be the preflop aggressor and the flop comes in a way that favors the caller's range. If you want to bet on that flop, you probably will bet at a lower frequency and when you do bet, you will likely bet a larger bet size than if it favored your range advantage and then you'd bet a smaller size. And we could talk about the reasons why. When you have a flop that favors your advantage, you want to keep hands in that will likely lose to you you want to keep their ranges wide. You want to make sure you realize equity, deny other people as equity, things we had talked about in previous episodes. Those concepts come directly from a better understanding of GTO. If I know what the range distributions are, what the relative equities look like between my range and their range, then I'm better positioned to exploit their mistakes when I can see those mistakes. And as I'm reading this GTO book, I'm, this is the first book I've read, Modern Poker Theory. I will likely read more. But as I'm reading this book, I'm making the connections to previous heuristics I had, my default lines. Why were those lines defaulted? Well, I came up with reasons why I bucketed my range in a certain way, why I would choose to check call, check fold, check raise, see that, whatever. But now that I'm reading GTO principles, I'm able to see how those heuristics, how those defaulted lines have a basis in GTO. So I'm getting a better understanding of it. And it is tweaking my application. So I am changing a bit. And I'm interested in seeing how those changes result at the table when I finally stop playing so much golf and get back to the poker table. Does that make sense? 
we don't want you to stop being exploitative players. We just want you to understand that you can study these GTO principles and you can become a better exploitative player. When your opponents are making a mistake, your job as a GTO player is to maximally exploit their mistake. That's the goal here. Neither BJ and I are experts at GTO. In fact, I don't use a solver. One of the questions that BJ had for me when we were coming into this podcast was, well, when does somebody start using a solver? Well, I got good news for all of you. There's plenty of people out there doing the work for you with solvers. And a lot of them are publishing the work. They're putting the work out there for you to find and, and use. Uh, there's plenty of coaches that will help you with it. There's training sites that are doing GTO. Red Chip Poker has a GTO course that is... I haven't partaken in it, but I plan to. So there's tools out there and you don't need to go and run solvers all night long so that you can find results in the morning if you ain't got time for that and you can still benefit from it. Is there a time when you should do that for yourself? Well, it depends on what your goal in poker is. You know, um, If you wanna be the best possible poker player, at some point in time, you're probably gonna to have to take and run some solvers for yourself and come up with those answers, put that work in. One thing I realized about deviating our own strategy from GTO is that we open ourselves up to counter exploitation. And I hadn't thought of this before. So as I'm seeing my opponents play and I realize my opponents are making mistakes, I, not knowing any better, will deviate from GTO principles to exploit them. Now, previously, I would have just said, I will exploit them. I will find their leaks and I will adjust my play to exploit them. I will four bet more, I will three bet more, I will check raise, whatever it is. What I've come to realize is that by my taking appropriate actions to exploit my opponents, I'm deviating from GTO principles such that a thinking observant player could exploit me. Because I've switched away from that balanced GTO strategy, which by the way, I don't have because I don't know enough to create one, that's beside the point. Because I'm exploiting an opponent, other thinking observant players could find ways to counter exploit my deviations. So even though I'm attacking opponent A, opponent B could turn around and own me. And unless I'm aware of that, I could lose my chips. This realization has kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I might have blind spots. I might be opening myself up, even though I'm being aggressive in a completely appropriate way to exploit my opponent, I'm leaving myself vulnerable to counterattacks from other people. Now, the good news is most low-stakes players don't know enough to adjust to anybody, so we don't need to worry about that. But for the off chance that someone is, it's really good that I'm aware of that now. Yeah, I, I think that there's a little bit to unpack with what you just said, all right? First of all, when you exploit your opponent there, you're not deviating from GTO principle. You're literally applying the GTO principle of exploiting their mistake. You are making an adjustment. But yes, I think that's one of the problems that these people that think that they always have to play the same in order to be GTO, that's part of the problem they have is that fear that they're opening themselves up to exploitation if, you, if they don't. You're not playing every player in every hand. In the hand that you're in, if your head's up especially, but you're playing against a specific player, that you are taking their inability to play sound poker, and you're exploiting it. Does that open you up to exploits from somebody else? Yes, it does. But if you're heads up against that other player that was observing and said, hey, this person's not playing sound. Well, the reality is, is you're not going to play them the same as the player that wasn't playing sound principles. You're not going to play. If you are, then you're making a mistake. You're not applying a GTO principle. 
yes, you open yourself up to exploitation. But like you said, that's if you're not aware of it. That's if you play every player the same. And this is one of the reasons GTO isn't solved. All right. This is one of the reasons poker isn't solved. It's one of the reasons poker remains profitable and will continue to because you can't solve for the human element, cannot solve for what makes that person tick across the table from you because it's going to be different for every person. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that when I was considering my own deviations. So if I, if I understand you right, I'm exploiting an opponent's weakness. I'm seeing what opponent A is doing. I realize that's off balance. Even if I don't know what GTO optimal is, I realize that their frequencies are off. I don't know how off. I just know that they're off. So I exploit them. I might open myself up to counter exploitation, but not necessarily because I'm not playing opponents B, C, and D the same way I am opponent A, my target in this example. And also opponents B, C, and D might not even realize what I'm doing. Don't play every player the same. I think that we should be both working on learning more and more about the sound theory of poker and learning how to use that to exploit our opponents. I don't think, like you said in the beginning, it's not a, a this or that. It's a this and that. <laughs> right. It's both and. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure what else to say on this topic. And I don't think there really is much more to say on it, mostly because we're still learning. it. You know, we're still learning. So I don't think we're not going to try to pretend we're experts here. So, yeah, I mean, well, I've mentioned Andrew Brokus's book, which, by the way, I've mentioned several times. They're very good. Michael Acevedo's book is awesome. Any book on GTO is a good start if you haven't ever read one. Redship Poker has a training course for GTO as part of their site, and they have GTO ranges. They've basically done the work of breaking out GTO ranges for you free flop. So there's a lot that you can gain from by going out there. Basically, every site I can think of, you can look at and you can, if it's a sound, good poker site. Solve for why we've taken some courses there, you and I have, and you can find the GTO principles in their stuff. If it's good sound poker stuff, it's going to be there. And of course, School of Cards. At School of Cards, we don't really talk a lot about GTO. But the reality is, when you look at the way they teach range construction and the way they teach post-flop play, there's a lot of GTO in there. It's there. It's sound. And those are all tools you can use. In Game Theory Optimal, by the way, it's not just a poker thing. It's everything, whether it be, you know, Parcheesi, chess. It's not like it's strictly poker principle. Right. I would caution the listener because I'm going to caution myself. As you learn GTO principles, like I'm learning them right now, I have the tendency to take a new tool and want to use it everywhere. I have this new shiny hammer and every single problem now looks like a nail, and I'm going to smash it with my GTO hammer. Please don't do that. I want to find ways where I can ease GTO into my study and ease GTO principles into my current understanding of exploitation. We've mentioned it's not either or, it's both and. GTO perfect play would be like the extreme of how you would form your strategy so that were the opponent to know your entire strategy, they would still be unable to beat you. Now, if you played that way every time, you would probably always be profitable, but you would be leaving money on the table because you're not exploiting your opponents appropriately. Whenever you exploit your opponents appropriately, it's based in some kind of GTO framework. As I apply GTO 
to my frameworks for exploitation, I'm cautioning myself as well as you to not just go wild and try to learn everything, try to use solvers for every single position. Del mentioned poker is not solved. Something like in any given position, there's like 1,755 isomorphic flops. What I mean by isomorphic is that it doesn't matter what the suits are. It's the same construction. Ace-King-Queen of hearts is the same as Ace-King-Queen of diamonds. You're going to play Jack-Ten of hearts the same way you play Jack-Ten of diamonds. There also is an infinite number of bet sizes. When you use solvers, you typically only use three, four, five different sizes. So there is no way in my lifetime I could think of, unless quantum computing becomes like an everyday thing, like you have a microwave. Sure, I have a quantum computer in my kitchen. Unless that happens, I don't think we're going to solve poker. Just don't go crazy. Even if you solved it, you'd still have to factor in for the human element. Unless we all start thinking exactly mm, the same. True, true. I would like to, before we end this podcast, I'd like to say thank you to Seabass and Jordan for stepping in for me. And I did really enjoy your conversation with Molly. And it's wonderful that all those people were willing to partake in our podcast. And I think it made it easier for me to not be able to be here for five weeks, knowing that we have friends that are, first of all, very intelligent on poker, a little smarter than us even, who are willing to take time out of their day to take in help us with what we do here. Absolutely. It was fun. I'm glad that you're back. It was fun having Seabass and Jordan and Molly on the podcast, and I'm completely grateful for the opportunity to be on Molly's podcast as well. That said, it's really good to have you back. Oh, and I left out Blake. Thank you too, Blake. <laughs> oh, right, right. We forgot Blake. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So much for being School of Cards acolytes. <laughs> hey, I... In that note, I will say that there's some interesting things coming up with our, our website and, you know, our relationship with School of Cards. I'm not going to say more than that for now, just a little teaser, but uh, things are going to get interesting and fun. And uh, I'm excited about the next 24 episodes. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It's good to have you back. And until next week, try to find some ways to incorporate GTO principles into your play to get more profit. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours.